Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Do me a quick favor. If you like what you hear at Planet Microcap, please take two seconds and give us five stars on Spotify or Apple. This helps with the search engine so that more folks can also discover and engage with all things microcap stocks. Next up, the Planet Microcap Showcase Vegas, happening April 30 through May 2nd, 2024 at the Paris Hotel and Casino. Save this date. We are working our tail off behind the scenes to put together the best program we can. Some really, really cool conversations with incredible thought leaders. The website is now live. And if you'd like to register to participate, please visit planetmicrocapshowcase.com. See you in Vegas. Now, my guest on the show today is Philippe Earhart, founder and CEO of ESG Fire. I was introduced to Philippe by Paul Andriola from Small Cap Discoveries. Thank you, Paul a few months ago, and we had a phenomenal conversation about his ESG strategy and his approach to investing in environmentally friendly companies. In the summer 2023 issue of the Planet Microcap Review magazine, Philippe contributed an article titled ESG Investing 101, documenting his investing process. And you know what? I thought it was time to invite him on the podcast to dive deeper into ESG, clean tech, agritech, and why ESG is still a mega trend that investors shouldn't ignore. Thank you again for tuning into the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my interview with Philippe Earhart. Philippe, thank you for joining me today. How you doing, man? Thank you, Bobby. That and I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Oh, you know, just uh, you know, we're on we're on very different uh, uh, ends of the uh, 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 timing here. You know, I'm being in yeah. LA, and you're in Denmark, right? Or or Sweden? In Sweden, close. yes, almost. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> So we're we're you know we're making it work here early in the morning for me here and it's pretty much end of day for you but uh, I do appreciate yep. you taking the time here and uh, by the way shout out to Paul Andriola for connecting us you know uh, he you know when I reached out to him I was like you know I'm, I'm you know we've done a little ESG on the podcast here we've done we I've spoken with some with uh, a few investors that have an ESG focus. Um, you know, we didn't talk too much about performance. A lot of those times it was, you know, kind of the one-on-one type stuff, but you know, there's so many different ways to kind of quote unquote attack this ESG strategy. And I wanted to have you on because when you go yep. right onto the ESG fire website, it's right there in your face that since 2018, you know, ESG fire has had 1100% returns, uh, with an investing strategy focused on ESG, specifically environmentally friendly companies. So, you know, I kind of want to start there, you know, specifically yep. with your background, you know, absolutely. tell us a little bit of how you got your start in investing and how you arrived to having this ESG focus. Absolutely. So, 
you know, I've been investing in the stock market for the better part of, you know, probably 20 years. I'm 36. I started when I was 16. And um, the, the reason I came up with ESG Fire was that I wanted to find, you know, like a, a mega trend to invest in back in 2018. And I'm a long-term investor. I'm not a trader. I'm not a, you know, not even a swing trader. So I really wanted to find something which, which was going to be in a major growth for a long period of time. So I identified ESG and specifically clean tech as, you know, a mega trend which had been going for a long period of time. And, you know, I, I thought it was going to be pretty likely that for the next 20 or 30 years, it would be increasingly growing due to, you know, climate change, uh, regulatory, and also due to the fact that if this planet is going to survive, we're going to have to start <laughs> looking how to mitigate the climate effects that are taking place right now. And I, I just want to add to that, I wanted to invest in something which would, you know, not just be profitable, um, because I wanted to be able to feel good about it and to actually be able to stand behind it. And I've seen a lot of uh, self-proclaimed gurus, you know, preaching about people becoming financially free, either by using dividend stocks or, you know, even going as far as people acting like con artists with pump and dump shows. And I wanted to show people that there is actually a way to reach, you know, financial freedom uh, using clean tech stocks. So that's essentially how ESG Fire came to life. And that's where the fire comes in into the ESG fire because some people might not understand, you know, the reason for the name. So I'm happy to be able to, <laughs> to clarify the background. No, fair enough. And, and I so appreciate that. So like when we're talking about your ESG strategy, and we'll get into your full criteria in a minute, but just overarching, it sounds like the main focus when it comes to the ESG side is on the E, you know, on the environmental yep. side. Like that's really like, I mean, it's the first letter in ESG. It sounds like that's by yep. far the primary, most important focus. So tell us a little Absolutely. bit more there. Yeah, I mean, ESG stands for, like you said, environmental social governance. And the problem a little bit with the ESG concept is that it's gotten lately a little bit of a bad reputation because ESG ratings per se have not been that good in um, identifying performances based on sustainability and actually what carbon footprints being done. And that's the reason that some companies like like Facebook or or even um, tobacco companies can get a good ESG rating because, you know, they're ticking all the boxes of an ESG rating. But that doesn't mean that they're either sustainable or even good for the climate. So the major problem has been that a lot of clean tech stocks have gotten um, into the negative side of, of the chatter because the ESG ratings used by major funds and indexes is completely um, crazy, to be honest. You know that, by the way, are you a shareholder in uh, Facebook? Just, I'm no, that. I'm not a shareholder in Facebook. Apologies, no. Compliance Bob, just making sure. But, you know, that that's interesting that you bring that up. And I, this, I know we're going off on a little bit of a tangent, but it almost seems like kind yep. of an opportunity, at least from your perspective, because you're saying, okay, these clean tech stocks are just not getting the re-rating they probably deserve because they're, you know, these nebulous scores are basically saying that they're not what they say they're trying to do in some respects. Yep. I mean, is that what you're saying? Exactly. Exactly. And another sad part of this is that 
since we have, you know, macro, we have a macro situation right now where stocks have been battered and and especially I would say um, small cap and ESG stocks have been crazily hammered relentlessly. And, you know, there are two reasons for that. One is the overall hammering of stocks in general. And the second is that a lot of these ESG companies um, are either not profitable or had been trading on really high valuation multiples. But I would say that the best time to invest in clean tech stocks is now because I've seen valuations. I'm not going to mention specific stocks for compliance reasons, but I can just say sector wise, you know, I've, I'm seeing solar power, wind power um, generating companies that used to trade for like price to earning 30 are down to like 15, 17. And these are companies with really, really big growth numbers. So, you know, if you just take a quick look at these sectors, you're going to you're going to find huge opportunities right now. You think that some of those names also right now are kind of in that place of like, oh no, please wait, don't. We're not an ESG company. No, we're clean tech. We're clean tech. Stop. No, we're not. <laughs> yeah, ESG. that could be it. Yeah, that could be it. But I don't think ESG as a word or as a concept is going to go away. No, but the problem agreed. for ESG as overall has been that it's not been defined what ESG is. That is the major problem with the sort of the wording itself. Um, I mean. Do you think it ever will, it, though? Like, like no, yeah, no. right? Like, it's, there's no regulation. So yeah. You know, it, it's just as crazy as, you know, back on, over here in Europe, basically anyone can call themselves an attorney. You know, it's not a protected <laughs> title. Yeah, it's not a protected title. So, you know, a lawyer is a protected title, but an attorney is not a protected title. So that's the same problem that if you don't have a clear definition or regulation uh, to define something, everybody's going to have their own opinion about it. Absolutely. I mean, like, I mean, one, it makes what, you know, it makes it interesting for podcast content for sure. You know, you know, cause especially back in 2020, when I did my first ESG, um, uh, real focus type interview, it was, it was really trying to understand that balance between like the E, the S and the G. And that was where I think we all started is like, well, what does the balance look like? You know, and, you know, yeah. tr trying to better understand using Tesla as an example, because I think that was the one that everybody was like, oh, this is a clear issue. Like, is it really when you think about all the stuff that you need in order to create the battery, all that kind of, you know, and like, yeah. that's, that's where the conversation at least kind of got started. And it seems like, especially now, right now in 2023, when there hit, has been more reversion to fundamentals and valuation. Like, I think that's also where there is a bit of a miscommunication because yeah, there's a majority, especially in small micro cap of some of these clean tech ESG names that are, you know, pre-revenue, not profitable, but there are some that are kind of starting to get there, right? Or yeah. at least yeah. at least they're fully funded and they don't have to go and do these egregious capital raises. So, you know, for, by the way, I'm not a shareholder in Tesla, uh, nor do I own a Tesla car. But, uh, you know, going from that point, you know, now I want to kind of get to your criteria itself when mm -hmm. you're looking yeah. at investment that's uh, an ESG idea and or clean tech whatnot so can you go through some of your criteria that you're looking for in a potential investment absolutely but before that I'm gonna I'm gonna say something controversial and yes no I'm, I'm not Sweet. a shareholder in Tesla yeah but of Tesla Let's go. yeah Tesla for me is not a clean tech company Tesla has not been successful in at least so far not in identifying you know a sustainable source for for their materials and the production of their cars and if you actually compare the amount of resources and energy required to make a tesla car 
you're going to have to drive that car for, you know, an incredibly extreme mileage for it to make sense from an environmental perspective. That's why personally I drive a hybrid because a hybrid car doesn't require the same amount of energy and resources to be produced as an electrical, fully electric vehicle. And, you know, they've even had other issues. I'm not going to go into details, but um, I've never been a shareholder in Tesla, nor do I think I ever will be because creating a vehicle mass produced for the public uh, price competitive, you know, you got to cut so many corners to get there. That's the problem. For sure. And by the way, I don't think that's as controversial as you think. I think there's quite a few, you know, not just ESG investors, but folks that, you know, where the arguments trying to be made that it's an ESG stock would all like, are you sure about that? Like it has ESG elements, but you know, with the fully electric car and everything. But yeah. when you actually dig into the nitty gritty, I think we can all agree. But I mean, that's a problem for yeah. all fully electric cars too. It's not just a Tesla problem, right? Is getting all the material in order to make a fully electric car, which, hey, we hope one day that, uh, you know, that part of the supply chain figures itself out and becomes environmentally friendly. We're all, we all want that. It's not like we're here just wanting to poo-poo it. You know, no. we want to see, we want to see that work. But I agree, man. I've been looking at the major problem time. is the major problem is the battery because the battery is what takes most resources and and batteries today have not, in my opinion, reached the point where they make sense to put into cars. I mean, they need to get more energy efficient, less resource um, consuming. That's you know the biggest problem. Batteries are great for battery storage, power storage for um, renewables. Awesome. That's you know that's a that's a great way to use them, but um yeah so let's get into the criterias anyway so let's um, you know there was like really no clear <clears throat> definition of esg investing when i started back in 2018 so that's why i decided to create my own so in esg fires opinion a company essentially you know has to be either environmentally friendly as a product or a service to even be considered for us investing and we focus mainly on small cap and micro cap. So that's typically companies at below $100 million in market cap. Um, and the major reason for that is that the strategy is based on finding high potential companies in early stages. So we want to maximize our potential returns during the expected growth journey. Um, and the other reason is pretty simple because these companies generally aren't covered by any other firm or analyst or anything. So the chances of finding something mispriced is considerably higher. So looking at the main scope, I would say we've had to change our strategy a little bit over the past um, 18 months. So we're, we're putting a bigger emphasis now on companies that either are close to, you know, being break even or, or being profitable. So except for being in a friendly, like environmentally friendly product or service, if it's not profitable, you know, we're going to need something else. <clears throat> for example, a higher moat or a uniqueness for us to become interested. Like say there's a company that has an invention which they are alone with on the market. They have, you know, plenty of patents. Um, they're not profitable, but, you know, we know there's a high demand for their product. And assuming that the company's market cap is in an attractive place and they're not in... Um, a bad situation regarding financing, they could still be of interest, but it has to be something something unique. So to sum it up a little bit, I would say that 
environmentally friendly business or, or service, um, unique product offering or service with a strong IP and or patents, um, profitable or near profitable. Um, and then we have, you know, we look at management, it needs to be a solid management and preferably with a high level of insider ownership. We look a lot at sustainable production methods, referring back to Tesla, which we're not shareholders in. Um, Investor-friendly management team. And there's, you know, if they have recurring revenues, that's a big plus. It doesn't have to be um, that a company fits all of these criterias, but they should fit the majority of them. For sure. And dude, thank you for, for going through all of that. Because look, the number one thing I think everybody listening to is like, Philippe, sounds great. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like ag tech, clean tech business that's yep. break even, pro- profitable, near term. Pro- yep. Like that. Wow. Like I point me in the direction, you know, so like what what types of businesses in the ag tech and clean tech space have you seen that have been break even, profitable? You know, I'm saying that carefully because I know we want to be careful about specific yep. names. So, you know, what businesses have you seen that that have have actually gotten there? Well, I can mention a company in the the hundred million or market capital. Yeah. Well, well, I can mention a company. They're they're not a client, but we are shareholders. So I can mention a company um, that you know they're not profitable, but they have a lot of orders which should make them profitable shortly. And it's a Swedish company in the last mile delivery field called clean motion and you know it's a very tiny company um but it's but it is a major position for us because i've followed the company for many years now and i recently and when i say recently it's about a year ago we decided to take a position in the company and they have a really really cool product um they got solar powered roofs on these vehicles it's only on three wheels, which saves you know energy and and maximizes range for the vehicle itself, and it's extremely cheap and cost effective. So that's just an example because there are a lot of last mile li- delivery electric vehicle companies that have <laughs> not gone so well, especially in the U.S. with all the uh, SPAC listings and IPOs. But but this company um, really is onto something, and uh, you know they recently signed. A framework agreement to a really prestigious uh, project called Neom in in um, in the Middle East, and we really think that you know if they get traction on on this thing, um, it could be could be huge. Absolutely, and th- and that's an interesting example. Not I don't know the yeah. company very well at all. I'm not a yeah. shareholder, but the the reason that I also was interested in that because it hits on a main thing that I think a lot of investors have been burned by in the U.S. Yeah. and Canada he- over oh, yeah. here. Is basically yeah. that, you know, th- there might be, you know, an ag tech or a clean tech company that has a great, great IP, great invention, yeah. like has uh, some kind of technology that can revolutionize a big problem. But yeah. then th- therein lies the problem is that it's they're trying to solve a big problem, which requires a lot of capital, a lot yeah. of, you know, a lot of, you know, Follow up and this races. example I just gave you have have been able to <clears throat> to develop their product with extremely limited financing, and, that's, and I also believe yeah bootstrapping essentially. So I can tell you that it's not always positive to have a lot of cash because it makes you sloppy and lazy, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So for a lot of these companies, they probably would have been 
better off, you know, these spec companies by not having so much money because they would have needed to be more efficient and, and smarter in their way of, of development. And, and I can say, you know, like Arrival, for example, is one of those listed companies, not a shareholder, never been a shareholder, but, you know, it's just a shit show, really, essentially, forgive my language. But, you know, there are a lot of examples of these type of companies that have had big plans, but the problem has been that they have not started with what the demand actually is and what clean motion did was they began looking at okay what's the demand like what are clients asking for so they started instead of saying oh we have a great product let's see if somebody wants to buy it you know instead they went out and say okay what's the actual demand like what's the demand on the market for these type of vehicles what are the features what what price range is attractive so i believe a lot of these companies they never get over what is called the chasm of doom, which is essentially, you know, going from early adopters to major sales. Like they might get a few trials out. They might get a few early adopters. Um, I'll mention another great example, Solo, not a shareholder. It's called a, a Solo is the ticker, um, Electromechanica vehicles, you know, awesome, cool idea, like three wheeled personal vehicle for one person for commuting and stuff, but hasn't taken off, you know, so I think that's a good point to make. I hope that answers your question. No, it does, man. And I mean, because yeah. I think, you know, when we talk about, you know, where traditional ESG investors have taken the wrong turn, you mentioned this in the article that you just did for Planet Microcap yeah. Review, which was ESG Investing 101. And yeah. on one hand, it's like, yes, the, the credit agency or whatever, I don't even know if it's credit agency, the rating agency, the ESG rating agency, you know, just misunderstanding where there are real ESG opportunities just because yeah. these rating agencies may have gotten something wrong. But at the other hand, it's just the sentiment around yeah. some of these companies, especially in the micro cap, small cap range, where, you know, they just, you know, they'll prove the tech and it might, mm -hmm. the tech might work, but then they just get flush with cash and then they're just not sure really what to do. And really it's all about just, you know, it would be better for the industry or just ESG as a whole if there was yeah. more of an emphasis on some of these companies that, kind of bootstrap things and are, yeah. you know, trying to build real businesses versus just having cool tech. Exactly. Exactly. And there is a lot of garbage out there. I mean, I do want to mention a, a word of caution for people listening to this, that you have to be really careful um, looking at companies in, in this small market cap size, because, you know, there are a lot of bad investments out there. So really, really be careful. And Look at what type of selection criteria is that you're you're employing. But I'll say one one thing that doesn't scare ESG Fire. Looking at companies, you know, a lot of investors might not take a look at a company because the stock price has gone down, you know, by tremendous amounts. I mean, to me, that's pretty irrelevant. What's relevant for me is, you know, has the story changed? What was the reason that the stock tanked? Like, you know, looking going into a company. That might have transformed going going in a completely um different direction and and to mention one company um both both uh, that were major shareholders and clients of us just me to disclose that they're in agriculture um called uh, replenish nutrients and you know if you look at the stock chart you would probably think well this is no you know this is probably a shit show but when you look closer at it you'll see that the company is transformed from sort of the basic development company into actually a revenue generating company that actually 
has a really cool path to, to closing in on 40 million revenues and licensing opportunities. And the company's trading at like $8 million market cap. So, you know, there are a lot of opportunities if you are vigilant and if you have the patience to look at the background of the, of these companies. Absolutely. So for you, you know, how do you build, you know, okay, you have your criteria. This is what you're really looking for. How do you build your ESG, I I guess your portfolio, like, all right, this is when I'm going to take a startup position. And this is as, you know, how I'm going to really build size into it. So love to hear more there. So we employ a 70-30% strategy, which means 70% are public companies and 30% are non-public companies. And the non-public companies are usually between 12 to 24 months away from an IPO. Um, we try to spread out our investments across various sectors. We rarely have more than one company in each sector. And we try to have a good diversification between, you know, for example, electric vehicles, uh, commodity companies, um, ag tech, and such and such. So, so it really has um, a sound risk management coming to diversification. Got it. And then, you know, what what are some of your criteria for selling as well? You know, like I, I basically is a change in thesis that that I mean that's I'm glad you asked. Yes. Yeah, I'm glad you asked. But it, surprisingly, I rarely get that question, but it's a very good question. So, I mean, a few reasons for us to be selling something is either management consistently not delivering on promise and not delivering on their forecast. You know, anyone can have a bad Q report, like a quarterly report, but if it's consistently um, below our expectations, or if you know from the management is consistently promising results that are not showing, that is definitely a reason for us selling. Um, a more rare reason might be that there is a major technological breakthrough, which might make an invention for a portfolio company obsolete. Has not happened more than once, but you know it has happened. Um, major financing risks you know associated with certain positions uh, where i feel you know the company may have a very hard time finding funding and uh, last but not least you know unexplainable major insider selling is definitely another reason for selling a position for sure so, yeah that, listen man you're you're applying you basically have a value strategy for esg right i mean yeah. let's let's it's value right. investing yeah it's exactly it's, it's value investing in in, in esg definitely I'll yeah. be 100% transparent about that. that that'll be that'll be uh, the title, I think, of uh, this pod for today. You know, apply, <laughs> apply a value investing formula to ESG. Um, yeah. So okay, we've talked. We talked. I mean, obviously, for your strategy, it's mostly a focus on the E. Clearly, like that's the bar none. Like focusing on companies that have some kind of tech or something that is helping to reduce our carbon footprint. That. Yep. Bare bones, right there. But then you know. It's ESG Fire. There's an S and G in there. So, love to hear your thoughts on how you think about, you know, the social impact as well as the governance impact when you're looking at these potential investments. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I take a great pride in the fact that we give out all our research for free. So, I mean, we try to be very transparent. We're we're we are 100 transparent. You know, anytime we sell something, anytime we buy something, it's disclosed. You know, our newsletter is free of charge and anytime something happens in our portfolio, 
we're being transparent about it. So we're trying to have very high standards for our own governance so we can you know, set a good example. Um, but I would say that um, sustainability and regulation governance are two major things that are overlooked. And what I mean by that is, you know, we have this example in the article with you guys, and I think it's very good to bring it up. Look at, there was a company in Germany called Wirecard that was a, a fintech company in payment services. Um, they essentially had rotted and, 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 and tricked the whole stock market that they had made major profits. And it turned out that the entire profits of the company, 2 billion euros, was just fake, thin air, didn't exist. Um, and, you know, Germany is not such a bad country when it comes to regulations. But the problem was that the company had been, I call it, you know, massaging uh, regulatories, assuring them that everything was fine. They had sorters calling this bluff out four years before it actually hit the fan. And these shorters were attacked by the authorities. So, you know, what they got for trying to, to, to call this out was that they're being, you know, subpoenaed by the courts for, for, for um, trash talk, basically. So I think there is a big discrepancy, and probably still there was and there still is a big discrepancy between um, regulatory standards and you know how companies actually are reporting i'm not saying there are frauds around every corner but you need to be careful i mean if this wasn't um discovered for you know several years and this was a pretty big company also this, this wasn't a small cap company um you know you could have accounting frauds in considerably smaller uh, varieties as well um speaking of the so the s of esg We've talked a bit about it. It's about uh, the social part, taking social responsibility. Um, I think it's really important to look at the whole production and value cycle of companies. Um, I can mention a, a company, uh, you know, not a shareholder, H&M, terrible, terrible social responsibility uh, structure uh, up until recently anyway. It's a Swedish company. I mean, we want, I would have, Love to say I'm proud of it, but I can't say I am because they've had so many issues with child labor and stuff like that. So, you know, you have to really, when you invest, or when we invest rather, we, we just, we don't just look at, oh, wow, great. This is an uh, environmentally friendly product. Well, how did the product come to life? Where's the material coming from? Have they sourced where their raw materials are coming from? How's the production method? Have, are they using, you know, um, environmentally friendly production methods or are they simply using whatever is cheapest to get um, whatever they need? You know, that's one thing that we also look very closely at, which I think is overlooked. And then, uh, yeah, because, you know, it's it it also seems like the S has been, the, the social aspect has also been merging with the idea of, you know, what is the company's culture as well, right? Yeah, which, exactly. I, which, which tends to blend in with governance too, you know, in many respects. But then also just looking at the, the company's culture, like, is this a yeah. what kind of environment are, are your employees like? Are they happy to be there? You know, do is there a... a, a do they a, like to represent your company? Are they happy about what they're doing? Do they believe that they're doing something good? You know, a lot of these things are important as well. A hundred percent, you know, and, 
and then because it's interesting when you bring up that point on the social aspect of like, all right, well, how did this product now come to be? And I think yep. that's something that maybe some folks that potentially want to adopt an ESG strategy are also like, okay, that's great. They might be, you know, God forbid, we don't want them doing child labor or anything like that. But, yeah. you know, we also want efficiency, you know, too. Yeah. You know, so yeah. there's a balancing act between like the company saying, all right, well, we want to operate this company efficiently, but uh, we're, you know, we also want to make sure that we're, you know, sourcing all, all our materials from the most, you know, environmentally friendly or places, right? So love to hear your thoughts on, on that balancing act for some of these companies and where you lay on that spectrum. For me, profit never goes before sustainability. So if it's a company that even if it's a very good valuation, if I find out that they're using environmentally unfriendly methods, like for example, cyanide when it comes to mineral production or mineral resourcing, or you know simply that they're they're using harmful methods um, in other aspect that goes away without a blink. You know, I mean, I I can't. You, we don't want to have companies that can question our integrity. That's the that's the main point of focus. So. Might sound strange to investors that profited, prof, making a profit is not always number one. But you know, I've, I've adopted this strategy for a reason, and that's because I want to be able to put my na name behind it and never feel that I have to justify any decisions that we make regarding our uh, investments. So you know, that's just uh, how we work, dude. And especially like using that example, like yeah. that that's a risk factor at the end of the yeah. day, right? Like it that is. company. For sure. Yeah. Like any company, anybody that might, let's say they were, you know, let's say that we were doing a bull and bear case where, you know, there is the mega bull on one side. And let's say you were the bear of that company, despite yeah. seeing it profitable, like yeah. that becomes an easy no brainer. Like, well, do you see how they're producing these nutrients? They're using cyanide, they're using this, they're using that. Like, I, yeah. like, and what happens if that comes out like a major news for their clients? You know, they yeah, might lose like, all their clients like that from one day to another, which I have seen happen to certain companies. So it's a very, very big risk, even if you don't think it's important from, you know, an environmental aspect. But it can also affect your investment in, any, in many other unpleasant ways if you are not careful. So it's definitely um, a concern to be to be dealt with. And also now, like that's something like, you know, these types of concerns and this type of, you know, grassroots journalism looking into some of these companies oh, yeah. that like that's not going away. No, at all. You Probably know, just so, going to be more increase in that. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, even if there's a company that's like right there on the spectrum or something that maybe people have thought there was some questionable practices as they how they produce their product, like it yeah. will come out. Like it's not, yeah. it's, it's not a matter of if it's more of a matter of when. Absolutely. And I, I just, I actually want to lift one interesting aspect when you're talking about this, because I'm a huge fan of electric vehicles. I have to say, I mean, like I really Same. like the concept. No yeah, yep. no, but there are other transitions that I believe we need to make before they actually can be put to use on a major scale. Um, and I, I think it's worth mentioning and, uh, you know, this is both a client and, and a portfolio company of ours, but they're pretty unique in the sense that um, it's a it's a pretty small uh, family owned company based out of Italy called uh, Landi Renzo, which are um, both really successful in natural gas and LPG engines, but also into hydrogen. And I think that 
before we reach the point where electric vehicles will be able to take over from combustion engines completely, we're going to see a transition period where, you know, gasified or hydrogen run engines will probably be the transition. Because when you look at the calculations, how much energy is going to require <clears throat> to make all combustion engine cars go away, we would need so many nuclear plants in Europe alone to make that work, which is just, I'm, I don't know how they're going to do it, to be honest. I think that's a very practical approach to thinking about this. And also, like, I yep. think people will probably breathe a sigh of relief of like, oh, cool. Like there's an ESG investor out there that doesn't that doesn't think that we need to completely flip everything tomorrow. And yep. uh, that's how it has to be, you know, yep. um, because practically. Sorry, sorry, just one correction. They're not a client. I came. I just sorry. They're just a portfolio company. Apologies for that. I made uh, a mistake nope. there. No, no apologies. You're good. No, you disclosed it. You're all good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I mean, we have 12 different companies in the portfolio. So, you know, you have to <laughs> keep all those in mind who are clients and who are not clients. So that no, might be. No doubt. And, and, yeah. for those, and for those that just to better understand the issue fire business, yeah. you know, on one hand, yeah. you know, you guys have portfolio companies that you invest in, yeah. but then you also yeah. help a few of these companies with, uh, with some IR stuff, everything like that. Just ba basically sure. marketing. Yeah. Basically marketing. So, and, and the, the good thing to keep in mind here is that we don't take on any clients. I mean, they have to go through the same rigorous selection process as any other portfolio company. And we don't work with more than a handful of companies as clients because we don't want to take in companies that we wouldn't invest in otherwise. So any company, which is also a client, would first have to be eligible for being an investment case. That's basically it. That's a big difference between us and other um, services in that area. Absolutely. No, I just wanted to clear that up. And also, yeah, absolutely. you know, that's I, great. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that model. I think that's yeah. if you're if you're gonna be in that space, like you want to you want to talk about companies that you're actually invest that you have skin in the game, right? Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. Yeah, not just like an analyst who takes a paycheck and just writes an article. We actually put our money where our mouth is. Very cool. All right, yeah. so you know, I think yeah. I think we've covered quite a bit on not just your strategy when it comes to ESG, but ESG in general. But I guess not. Maybe this might not be my final question, but you know, as a whole, no, you know, the yeah. way you kind of see ESG investing right now, recording this on November first, twenty twenty three. You know, yeah. what do you think is the sentiment right now, and how do you think it changes? Yeah, so I would say that. Um, you know, looking at the sentiment for ESG right now, is that your question to be clear? Yeah. Well, right now, I think it's an overall, unfortunately, a little bit negative sentiment, but it has to do with the fact that stocks overall are under pressure right now because of the interest rates that we've seen. So our theory is that interest rates have probably peaked where they may remain high for some time. Um, I would guess, you know, another... 12 to 18 months, but at least, you know, we don't foresee any higher rates putting further pressure on the stock market. Um, there may be other factors at play that could potentially pressure stocks, you know, geopolitical events or unexpected or increased armed conflicts around the globe. Uh, you know, they might affect supply chains and commodities. Um, but like I said in the beginning here, I think the, there's probably <laughs> not been a better time to invest in ESG stocks than right now, because Valuations have taken um, an 
unjustified turn for the worst. So right. you know, you know, there, there there's a saying that is um, the best time to invest was yesterday. The second best is today. So you know, and I would say that really applies um, to ESG stocks at this point. But like I said before, you got to be careful in the selection process. You can't just pick anything. And and if you feel not competent enough to pick your own stocks, I mean, look at ESG funds, but be careful what their selection criteria are. Make sure that the, the fund actually invests based on, you know, environmental friendly aspect, not just ESG ratings, because like we've discussed, ESG ratings as a whole is not a guarantee for getting clean tech stocks, for sure. Um, and obviously, you know, sign up for our newsletter. That's a great place to end it, Philippe. Thank, thank you so much. Where can our audience go and find more information on ESG Fire as well as follow you on social media? Yeah, so ESGFire.com is our website and ESG Fire is also our handle on Twitter. Very good. Well, Philippe, thank you so much for joining me, man. Really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I look forward thank to our you. next update. So do I. Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker-dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast podcast.